Hello and welcome to a new episode on Tetherate by Fresco Media. We're going for a different setup actually today where we're going to merge our European football review and our Indian Super League review into one show and we're going to keep it a little bit concise and kind of address the issues that really need addressing this week. Um I'm joined on the first part of this by Dibidi Bhattacharya, a regular ISL expert I may call it. How have you seen the last week of Indian action Dibo? Uh, I think again the ISL has uh, you know stayed up with the competitiveness that it had showed in the early early stages of the competition but uh, yes the ISL is short in goals I think they have uh, I think they average a little more than 2 goals per game but games have been very competitive uh, both the t- both the sides are on a match day uh, very much equal in terms of uh, the way they are playing the way they can uh, they uh, kind of go about it so yes the competition uh, competitiveness is still there uh, which is good for the league but I love to see more goals in it. Yeah, I think everyone wants to see a bit more goals and a bit more fluidity within teams. We're seeing a lot of, you know, um edgy games where um teams are having phases and not generally looking fluid. Um you might expect them, you know, 3 4 weeks into the tournament to kind of build some firm momentum, but that seems to be absent, which is quite uh which is quite a surprise to be honest. But before we get on, um just want to ask our viewers to or listeners wherever you're listening to get involved in the comments, uh, do follow us on our social channels. on Instagram and Twitter and do get involved because we want to hear what you think about certain issues. We had a review on Arsenal's decline uh, which is spoken very passionately by two friends of ours, uh, Rick and Sid. So do listen to that one and do let us know what Arsenal need to do to improve in the future. Anyway, cracking on then. So the Indian Super League the past week has had a few good games, a few games that were a bit of a drab affair. But one thing I want to talk about is the Indian youngsters because I think the last week at least with Hyderabad performing uh decently uh the limelight has shown upon how the indian youngsters have kind of stepped up to the plate this season and how you know actually managers are putting a lot of faith in them um instead of you know relying on experienced indians or foreigners and you know especially the central roles in center back center midfield and uh, up front so how have you seen the indians progress this season from the past few years i think in the beginning of uh, when we started uh the icel podcast i said this is a tournament that's going to be uh for the indian youngsters and uh rightly so i think we haven't seen a lot of youngsters yet because i i don't think jitendra singh has gotten that many chances even amarjeet uh you know suffering from an injury has just come back but i think there have been new revelations in that uh, in this tournament yasir shah uh, liston kolako ashish rai has been brilliant for hyderabad and uh, even for northeast united we have nintoy uh who's who's done really really well so i think this has been one tournament where indian youngsters have really excelled with the uh, the center stage they have been provided with, with by the uh, by the coaches because uh they have they have done they have done fantastic and which is good for for indian football because we keep on uh, asking for more chances to be given to indian players uh even given the fact that the bulk of goals has come from the foreigners but you look across the teams there are a lot of mainstays in the team that are indians you know bipin bipin sharma who's been uh consistent on the flanks of mumbai city you know playing alongside the likes of uh, lefondre and ogbeche has a fantastic uh, you know dyeing his hair he's he's done that brilliantly as it yeah absolutely absolutely but again i think there has been a little bit of a disappointment from the indian players just in say, say for example fc goa i mean they haven't uh, replaced their indian counterparts with equal replacements i think uh, savior gama hasn't really you know st- stepped up to what uh, mandara or desai would have given for them and they couldn't they haven't really replaced jahu either yeah i think for goa it's a bit of um, you know mixture of problems i think it's also the fact that they've lost a charismatic manager who was uh, inf- so influential for them 
you know, in, in reaching the upper echelons of the table. And you also have, of course, the departure of many foreign players who were, you know, standout players for them. But um, you did mention Romario as one of the uh, few Indian talents that have performed the past week. Now, he's had three assists this season, which is, I think, the most from any of these Indian youngsters. Um, we did speak about Lalinzwala Changte last week and we spoke about his lack of end product and how he was looking like he was getting back to uh, a phase where he could, you know, kind of hit the net or find his man, uh, the right man in the box. But he's back to his old ways again. So that consistency, which you want to see through Indian youngsters, um, is that something where, you know, the AFF and the technical advisors to a lot of these Indian clubs need to think about how you can get the best out of these Indian players, not just through playing them, but also through developing them and especially attacking players how do you get the best out of them in the final third? How long are we going to call Changte and Youngster? I think he's been around for a good while now. Uh, Listen, on paper, he's 23, but um, uh, sources or people close to him say that he's a bit over 26. <laughs> that's that's a case uh, that's widespread in Indian football. I mean, to talk about... Nothing like God of Bukhi is in there. <laughs> but uh, in terms of how to develop youngsters, and I think uh, that's... I think match experience... As important as match experience is, I think there needs to be a consistent in, consistency in the way that they are training. And yeah, that's where, uh, you know, the youngsters fall fall short in because, you know, the season is for three months again. And you're in with the squad for that long. And then you're going and playing in other leagues outside uh, in other states where the quality isn't as good as, the, uh, as in the ISL. So you're not implementing uh, what you're learning there into the other leagues. You're trying to adapt your game to the other leagues where the quality is little less, uh, let's say, uh, the kind of football that we want to see. It's more direct. It's more uh, aggressive. Uh, and if you if you know your uh, football in India, if you know the state leagues, if you know the the and you know the 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 character leagues and the leagues in Kerala, and you know how football is played there, it's more it's more muscle than your head. So I think that kind of affects these young players because. Uh, look, uh, they are good. They're good on the ball. They're good technically, but it's the consistency of how they implement it and when they implement it and how long they implement it for. I think that's that's where uh, this comes in. But do you think uh, going abroad, going, uh, getting some exposure outside India is one way to uh, improve uh, young players? Look, we did have we have a few cases of this, right? So we had Romeo Fernandez who initially went to Brazil to kind of explore the possibility of playing there, but that didn't turn out pretty well. He played only, I think, 10 minutes for them. Um, I think a player we need to keep an eye on this season is uh, Ishan Pandita, who is playing for FC Goa. And he hasn't really played that much, all that much for FC Goa. But what he did um, at a young age, he was, I think, Bangalore born and bred, but he moved on to Spain. And he was playing in the fourth division, if I'm not mistaken, or third division in Spain, the Spanish Segunda division or Tercera. I'm not quite sure. But he did create a few um, headlines over there as being an Indian and you know moving to a different country. He settled in with the culture. Uh, he was looking to make the leaps and bounds or the progress that was required in the Spanish divisions. And then FC Goa came calling. So um, when you have someone like that who's experienced a bit at a young age and is more in tune with the country they're playing in. You know, Romeo, I think, was a complete outcast in Brazil. Um, and we're also going to mention Sanjeev Stalin, who played in Portugal and you know, has recently gone bankrupt, which is quite crazy to think. But, you know, I think when you make that trip abroad, it needs to be a calculated gamble and investment because you are investing a lot of your formative years in development that you would probably play week in, week out in India. We're seeing the guy likes of Suresh Wangjam, you know. Uh, 
he's a key player for Bengaluru FC. It is it is crazy to think that at his age, he cannot be dropped off the team sheet. So when you have that kind of an opportunity domestically, um, it's a bit of, it's a bit of a decision to make whether you want to go abroad or not. Um, but I think with the under seventeen players, the under seventeen World Cup players. They're the first crop of Indians that number one were brought through a different kind of development because they were trained under you know different circumstances um, in the lead up to that World Cup under a different coach, different environment, and they also had a different level of attention from the public because I think they were the first real batch of youngsters that caught the media attention and the attention of many people uh, around the country. So I think when you go through this process of evaluating whether it's best to develop abroad or in India. I think exposure is very important. Exposure abroad is highly important. We've seen pictures of the under-17 guys with Erling Haaland in their younger years. But it's also important to note that when you play domestically week in, week out, you develop much faster simply because you're playing. I think, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you hit a, a good, you make a very good point. But I think the the point at which you go abroad, I think the age at which you go abroad is extremely essential for uh, a youngster to develop in that sense. I mean, look at Gurpreet. He's made the most of the time he was in Norway. Uh, but going for Sanjeev Stalin again, I think he's going to find life very hard there because not only because he's playing in the Portuguese lower leagues and Portuguese leagues uh, financially are not the best. So unless he finds uh, his financial uh, sustainability plus his game, game time, you know, coming to one place together, uh, kind of settling in for him, he's going to look to come back to India and India is going to be the one place he would be assured game time for and to be very honest in terms of quality and very recently I was speaking to one of my friends who's played in the IFA Shield and he said and they faced the Indian Arrows uh, in their first game and Indian Arrows is a team that has under 17 under 19 guys from the Indian setup and he they won the game and they said one thing and he said one thing that look when when any player from the Indian Arrows got the ball, their first touch was top class. What the kind of technically, how technical their their technical ability was up there with the best of footballers. Yes, they were short on they're short on confidence a little bit. Maybe they're short on experience, and that's where they lacked uh, along with the physicality. But in terms of their work rate and in terms of their technical ability, they were up there with any best players that. Who have, who have played in the Indian circuit because you know the the kind of training that they get they're the India's they're India's best uh, youngsters right so there has to be something that makes them the best there so I think I think that's what's important for Indian youngsters to be looking after is when they go abroad going abroad is not a bad thing but at which point they do and where they do sometimes they have to look to go abroad to learn and sometimes they have to look to go abroad to get game time I think Suresh is a fantastic example and the batch of under-17 guys who's, who really got the media attention. And some of them have really come about and played their roles. Amarjit is the mainstay in the Indian team, so national team right now. So I think there's, there's potential and it's hard to ignore that potential. Moving on to a team then that has nothing um, close to youngsters and something of a you, you might call it retirement or a final swan song kind of a team. East Bengal uh, had their initial struggles when the league kicked off. Uh, of course, had limited preseason, limited preparation. It was al- almost like a last-minute arrangement to get the squad together to play. And then they were on the verge of getting the first three points in the in midweek against Kerala Blasters. And 
I think dropping points to a last minute equalizer is pretty heartbreaking for Obi Fowler's men. Uh, you're an East Bay golf fan yourself, and I'm pretty sure you'd have been praying, praying, praying that they got the first three points in the campaign. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, in the end, when the uh, when the last uh, last few minutes was being played inside East Bengal's uh, penalty box, I was I had my heart in my mouth, man. Uh, but yeah, I mean. they could have held on but i think this team again as zavi fowler says this team was made and put together for the i league except for the foreigners i think uh, steinman is a fantastic player the way he controls the midfield but again you know it's actually funny how this foreigners are actually you know probably some of the best i think they're being severely compromised by the fact that the indians are obviously not at the level of the other teams but i honestly think that you put these set of foreign players together in say a bengaluru or Uh, Mumbai City. I think they'd hold their own. They'd probably be up there as some of the best. I think Bangalore needs a player like Pilkington. We need some creative spark in the middle. But uh, I mean, but yeah, that's true. I mean, again, but also there there are questions on on the fact on how uh, Robbie Fowler went about getting his team. I mean, he's taken uh, he's taken a few Indian players who are in the setup, and he has said no to a lot of Indian players. who were part of the east bengal side and said okay listen we're not going to register you for isl so the experienced players like lalrindika ralte uh, they have been ignored and go, even going by his age maybe he's he's old okay he's he's been around for a long long time but he's got that experience he's got that know how on how to play in the top level and he's played in the isl before so uh, to ignore these kind of players yes you go for the, you go for youth but this team is just not good enough at this point in time and yeah uh, even and they have to make the most of uh, the transfer window that's upcoming in january you know they, i think they are in talks to sign raju gaikwad as a defensive cover uh, there's a new nigerian forward who's joining uh, east bengal for a short short term and i think they have to make most of uh, this this time this transfer window to somehow reinforce and uh, you know make a last minute dash up the table yeah a few clubs in fact are also looking at january signings so kerala blasters have lost um the captain cedo for the entirety of the season so they're good looking to get in someone else but uh, i think for once i think the january transfer window has some relevance um you know we always had this ethos of you could replace anyone who's injured at any time in the indian super league as long as they're out of contract at whichever club so um i think having a designated window is also important uh, it makes teams plan better and i think we are seeing some teams that haven't planned for this eventuality of having injuries and on the base on the topic of injuries uh, i also want to talk about the case of five subs uh, we will come on to mention um the topic of five subs and the relevance to the european context in just a bit but starting off with indian manage indian super league managers and them not using the full quota of five subs um i want to say that this is because of the fact that the games aren't you know one sided games at, at the moment there are few but few and far between really most of the games are close and i think as jurgen klopp alluded to You know these clubs don't want to make five substitutions when a game is tight and when when a game isn't like you know well and truly won because this kind of changes the uh, you know intensity of the game it changes the way these players are you know playing with each other and so on. Um, is this a case study to be implemented when we speak about the European uh, side of things, or is it just Indian specific where you know there is a dearth of opportunities from the bench? Uh, I think yeah, there's a dearth dearth of quality in the bench of the Indian sides and the ISL and why uh, and why managers kind of hesitate to make or uh, make all their five changes. I mean, even last night Stuart Baxter made one change and that was his foreigner foreign striker for another. 
uh, for for Daniel Dalimpuya uh, and just to get some legs in the last last few minutes of the game. Uh, but yeah, I think if you make five changes in the team, with uh, I think it just drops the quality, and that's that's what the managers don't want in a game that's very tight. And like you said, changes are made either to make uh, make a difference in the game or to short things up. Uh, at the end of the things, at the end of the game, or it's it's a time wasting tactic from a few managers. Uh, I mean, we have seen in the past Shondra Sen making a lot of changes for uh, for Mohan Bagan in the last few minutes. Even uh, even Habas has been consistently making some changes and giving time to uh, youngsters like S K Sahil, uh, who's who's made a few appearances for very few minutes. But this is the, but five subs was was a thing to protect players after the pandemic because of the cluster of fixtures that have uh, that that kind of you know uh, piled up but right now i think uh, it needs to be put in place where it's effective in the in the european context but in the indian context right now the five subs is a luxury to managers is what my opinion is Welcome back to Tete Tete, where we're now introducing um, Siddharth Shekhar, who joins us for this European side of our review. How are you, Sid? I'm good. How are you? How's it going? <laughs> I, mean, I think I, I should ask you again. How are you, Sid? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm all de- I'm devoid of all emotions right now. To be fair, I'm just like okay, this season it's a it's written off. I'm not gonna be. I'm just gonna be supporting Arsenal for what it is at an institutional level. <laughs> nothing else to add please move along don't make me cry <laughs> well i think less said about arsenal the better of course we did have uh, a major major episode on arsenal's decline which do watch it's an hour and 8 minutes long yeah please uh, check it out two arsenal fans ranting like no one's business huh <laughs> i think there's only one way to go about arsenal at the moment it's a rant so it's fair enough but anyway we were speaking about five subs in the indian super league and why it is uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense when the managers aren't really using the quota of five subs and more specifically um the dearth of talent on the benches are also causing some concerns over why five subs are needed in the isl but we're, we're going to be looking at the premier league specifically because the only league in the top 5 european leagues that haven't implemented um five subs and I, I i think at this point if you don't know of this fact i think you're living under a rock because after every game you'd see pep guardiola ole gunnar solskjaer uh Jurgen Klopp coming out and saying you know we need five subs we need five subs so debo i want to ask you where does this debate stem from why are these managers so um so aggravated by the fact that the premier league or a few clubs in the premier league are vetoing their um you know chance to make it a league with five subs i think uh, it comes to the factor that these these big clubs the the Jurgen Klopps the Pep Guardiola the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of of the premier league they have to protect the players that they have They, and these are big signings who are under big contracts, and they're very important to the clubs for their apparent title challenge, if you can say. And uh, obviously, this season started without a pre-season, which meant that teams were very slow to get off the blocks. There were a uh, lot more, lot of more injuries, twenty-three percent more injuries this season uh, than before, I think. Uh, so I think it's very important for these uh, managers to be looking after their players, and they were also very against the international break, which was very abrupt. Uh, in mid season also and they're very they're very much against it but uh, even after all these uh, i mean all the fact that they are all for uh, the five sub rule to be implemented in in the premier league and it's the only league with three sub rule uh, but let me give you a statistic and and tell me what you think about it of and and until then this is a statistic that 
has been counted when there were 10 matches played in the league this season, right? So, of the 20 teams, only 5 teams, that's Arsenal, United, West Brom, Newcastle and Spurs, have used 3 substitutes in all their games up until the 10th game. And Burnley have never used the 3 substitutes in any of their 10 games. So, it kind of shows you that managers, even with a 3 substitute quota, are not fulfilling it because of the nature of the game that they are playing. If it's too tight, they don't want to make a change. If they don't have a considerable lead, uh, where will they make the change? So, is is this some? Is are they kind of pushing for a luxury they want because they have the five sub rule in the Champions League where they can afford to make these changes? What do you think? I mean, I think we should turn this question to Shreyas. Being a Liverpool fan, I mean, it's been quite evident about Jurgen Klopp's fury at the fact that the five substitution rule was not introduced into the Premier League this season. Uh, I mean, we've we've known for quite some time Klopp's outbursts at the media and of course he's been pointing the fingers at the broadcasters and the fact that they don't care about the players' welfare and everything. But uh, it's quite evident that Klopp's not using all of his substitutes. So what do you think about Klopp? And as a Liverpool fan, do you think his outbursts are justified? And uh, do you think that the five-substitution rule is needed? And is it only going to benefit the top clubs? I think on, on this uh, particular run that Jurgen Klopp, when he, he literally went into Chris Wilder, didn't he? Uh, manager of Sheffield. And he said that Chris Wilder is restricting us from playing with five substitutes. But I think Gary Neville in uh, Monday Night episode, Monday Night Football episodes uh, summarized it in his way, in his view, that Jurgen Klopp is trying to seek a competitive advantage, like all managers, of course, are. But the fact that Liverpool would like to have five subs stems from the fact that they have probably more injuries and they obviously want to avoid them. But it also is the fact that Liverpool have won a lot of games where they're probably, um, you know, light years ahead of the other team they're facing. You know, think about the Wolves game, the Leicester game, um, games like that where they're three or four nil up. It's It comes to the 60th, 70th minute and you still have the likes of Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, Firmino on the, on, on the pitch. And you obviously don't want to have that risk of injury in, you know, what is essentially a dead part of the game which is, I think, where Jurgen Klopp's argument stems from in the first place. And secondly, his other argument is that um, Liverpool has always chosen to play the early lunchtime kickoffs on Saturday, which is 12.30 um, local time in the UK at afternoon. I think that that is a bit of a skewed argument because of the fact that the other leagues, you know, in La Liga, Bundesliga, or even Syria, they still play. Some of these clubs that play the Champions League on the Wednesdays do play the early kickoffs on Saturdays. So I think to complain about something which other clubs and other leagues aren't really complaining about is a bit of a stretch. But I have to say that, you know, on the basis of um, the number of injuries Liverpool have knocked and also the fact that there are a lot, of more, lot more muscle injuries in the Premier League this season, it only seems logical that, you know, you'd give the five-sub, um, you know, rule and you'd apply it because it doesn't just... I think one argument that has been floated around uh, is that, you know, it benefits big clubs who have the great talents on the bench. And whatever, they can change the outcome of game. But I would counter-argue and say, if you're a team that's winning against, you know, Chelsea, say Burnley's winning against Chelsea, and with 20 minutes to go, you're 1-0 up, you can bring on five defenders, fresh defenders, who would kind of solidify your defence, not make mistakes. They're fresh as a daisy. They can bomb up the pitch and suck out time out of the game. What is the problem? I mean, but that's but that's just one side of the coin, right? <laughs> the same argument can be made that if uh, Burnley are winning 1-0, but then Chelsea have the luxury of bringing on five substitutes, where of course we know their bench is considerably stronger than Burnley's. I mean, the whole dynamic of the game can change, right? I do understand why some of these so-called lesser clubs don't want the 
five rule substitution because on the face of it, it does look like you're going to take more advantage of the squad that you have. And luckily for Chelsea, a team like Chelsea, they have invested heavily, not just in the first level, but in the squad as well. So in the long run, I do see it benefiting the big team. But I just see that there's a pattern when it comes to this. Like if you look at it before COVID, before the five rule substitution was there and everything, all the, all the European, the big European club uh, leagues, they had the winter break. And it has, to considerable effect, helped the teams. I mean, let's look at Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, some of the teams that have won the Champions League recently. I mean, they have benefited a lot from the winter break, right? And they've taken full advantage of it. And of course, the national team players have also benefited from it because they got that much-needed rest during the middle of the season. And uh, there's always been that argument that the English team, English national team, does not play well in finals in major tournaments because of this fact that they've been burnt out by the end of the season. So I don't see why the why the Premier League has not looked at it and the FA has not looked at it and actually changed it. They have obviously they brought in the winter break and of course we all know what happened after that. COVID has kind of disrupted the whole uh, season. But then again, coming to this, the other leagues have also implemented the fire rule substitution. No other managers complaining about this in the other so-called big leagues and the so-called big teams in these leagues. But in the Premier League, we still haven't implemented it. Now, I don't agree with Klopp and everything when they aim their fury at the broadcasters because at the end of the day, the Premier League is the one who gives the slots to the broadcasters. The broadcasters are not the ones who say, okay, I want this time, I want that time, and then we'll decide the teams that are going to be playing in these in these slots. The Premier League decides these slots. So the Premier League also needs to look at it themselves and the clubs also do need to look at it themselves because at the end of the day, they are getting money from the broadcasters. And let's not forget, the Premier League, we all know, it's widely known, gets most amount of revenue in terms of broadcasting rights. So they need to look at it that way as well, that, okay, there needs to be give some leeway from the family clubs as well. They need to maybe, if you want, give some money back, a rebate of, say, 100 million, 150 million, which, of course, we both we all know is not going to happen. Or they need to understand that, okay, some of these timings are going to happen. There's nothing that they can do about this. And instead of mourning and whining, they can, they can talk with the PL. They can talk with the PL, sit down and actually come up to a proper plan, which they don't because, of course, the clubs are not going to agree with each other. That's been the problem for a long, long yeah, time. Yeah, but do you, don't you think, you know, in this current period, which we're going to go through, the Christmas fixtures, the the, the fixtures post uh, the FA Cup, and essentially January is a very busy month, right? And this end of December, of course. Um, then you get to February where you have the round of 16 in the Champions League and the round of 32 in the Europa League. And when you see your competitors who are coming from all other parts of Europe who have implemented a winter break or a so-called, you know, they at least don't have the same intense fixture list like the Premier League does during December and January. Don't you think the concerns would grow even more so then, Debo? Because um, if, say, for example, Liverpool have another couple of injuries, they lose out, um, you know, either Salah or Mane to an injury in the next couple of months, and then they enter the Champions League phase without having their key players... Don't you think it's better to prevent rather than cure at that point and introduce five subs way too late in the season? I think from a commercial point of view, I think Premier League thrives on the intensity uh, that it kind of advertises. And it's the festive period that uh, that has, you know, historically been where the most eyes have been. Right? So I think that's that's one of the USPs of the Premier League that when everything else is not happening, the Premier League is still happening. So uh, to introduce... Uh, a winter break is something that I don't think the Premier League is going to agree very soon. But yes, I mean, it's true that we have to look after the players. And uh, But it, there is a counter-argument also that if you give the players that break, 
what if they're not match fit when they come back to the Champions we League? Did, we did actually see that last year. Remember I mean, but, the Premier League but, but, introduced but, but, that like, break? Once it shares, I just, I just want to say like with, with regards to the Premier League tradition, I do agree with that. I actually missed out on that point about Boxing Day. I think it's a tradition that the Premier League is known for. But if you're going to have a winter break in Jan, after the festival period, say between Jan 4th to Jan 17th, 18th, I mean, it has worked to massive effect in Germany, Spain. And so I don't see that point of the players not being match fit enough. Of course. But, so, but you have to understand. But there's something to be considered about this specific season. Is This season, it's kind of five weeks shorter than the regular season. So I don't think the complaint... They, I mean, managers will always complain when their players get injured. and uh, But then the managers also know that... The, Premier League has tried their face tried. Like, look at the the Carling Cup. They've scrapped the replays. They've scrapped the second leg. They've scrapped the FA Cup replays. I mean, still... Well. So, it's not like they've not still, been Still, you know, most of the teams aren't taken seriously. So, I don't think it, it, it kind of makes the point. I think, in any case, these clubs that have injuries would just forego the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup. I don't think, for them, it means anything when you have a Premier League season where, number one, you can't make five subs and number two, you have European fixtures on the horizon. So, on, on that note, I think, also, I wanted to respond to your winter break thing where the Premier League did have a winter break last year, if you remember right. Um, and in fact, it was it was actually a very fascistial winter break because what happened was that they gave a couple of weeks off, I think. And in the middle of that break, they had all the FA Cup replays. So it kind of completely over uh, overruled the point of the winter break. But I think the winter break is also used to kind of make everyone switch off a bit mentally which is where the festive season kind of sucks a lot out of, especially foreign managers. If you look at most of the people complaining about the fixtures in the Christmas period, it is going to be the foreign managers because for them, Christmas is about sitting at home, taking your mind off the game and, you know, kind of relaxing and then getting back to the swing of things come January. So I think it's also a mindset issue, I guess, uh, fair to say. But I, one thing I wanted to actually talk about um, with regards to five subs, and you did mention it early on, is the Euros because we have the Euros in 2021 of course, postponed due to COVID. And a lot of players from a lot of countries will be eagerly waiting for their players to go through this entire season unscathed because the last thing anyone wants is a big player being injured for such a big tournament. So is it is it going to be a big detriment, you know, if we get into the March, Aprils of the season, everything, clubs are going full tilt for either title push, top four push, um, European push, whatever it is. And then you see something similar to how we saw last season when Harry Kane got injured and there were severe doubts over whether he could actually play the Euros. No, not exactly, man. I mean, uh, absolutely the fact the fact that national team managers are going to look after their players and wanting and want them to be uh, to be fit for the for the big tournament. That's that's definitely there. Uh, but again, that's that's just down to the Premier League because if you put in that if you put in that winter break, think about it from from the commercial point of view. Uh, at any point, you're stretching the season again. The, se- the Premier League season is the longest, uh, the longest season that happens along with the La Liga. But La Liga again starts earlier than Premier League, if I'm not wrong. Uh, yeah, by by two weeks. Yeah, which which means that you're pushing pushing the Premier League even even later and closer to uh, to the Euros, which is which ca- which has which has which bears the same probability of an injury. Uh, so. Uh, the fact that all the leagues should finish around the same time is probably why the Premier League still has to uh, still has to kind of uh, pile up fixtures in the middle, more midweek fixtures and more Monday night fixtures, uh, which is which is one thing that uh, has to be taken into account. If you put a break there, you're also, you're, you have to stretch those tournaments, uh, stretch the stretch the fixtures that are 
uh, that they miss in that period. But I think what the five, sub, five subs rule could be done is they can be introduced in the FA Cup, uh, in the Carlin Cup, uh, and obviously they are they are there in the European European Championships, and that is where the managers can afford to, uh, let's say, uh, you know, uh, kind of release themselves, can give the give rest to their main players, uh, use those five subs to the to the full potential, because managers also are very hesitant to use the three subs that they have because they are after the points. It's a conflict. Either do they want to keep changing because they don't have the faith in the quality and, and the depth that they have in their squad uh, or do they want to take care of their players as much as uh, they say to the media. So I think there's a big conflict there. Uh, I think one more factor needs to be considered as well that, I mean, the League Cup. I think the League Cup has been a controversial figure for quite some time now because a lot of it has been attributed to the League Cup being a disruptor for the players, I mean, if you look they, at it, they did postpone the final though for reasons that you know you could get a crowd in. May. They wanted the fans like that is a purely commercial aspect of it, and of course, the league gets money from the broadcasters for the league cup and its various uh, iterations over the years, the Carling, Carabao Cup, etc., etc. But uh, if you look at it, and it's league cup. <laughs> if you look at it over the years, uh, predominantly the top clubs they use it as. A platform to give the youth some uh, time to play on the field against the much more experienced pros in the rounds in, in the first couple of rounds. And if you look at it, City have been taken seriously, of course, for the last three years. They've won the three-peat. Now they're going for the glorious four. Uh, as like Alan Smith said last night against their ba- uh, <laughs> during their battering of Arsenal. But that's, that's the anomaly rather than the norm. And usually teams don't take it that seriously. And the question needs to be asked because this is the only league that has two domestic cup competitions during the regular season. Does it need to be scrapped or does it need to change its format to at least suit the Premier League teams, which we of course know have a grueling, grueling season each uh, year in, year out. So that that's a question that needs to be asked. Of course, I don't think that the FA won't even consider it because they bring in however small the revenue. The broadcasters do give a substantial amount to the uh, FA and that may be a proper... A debate to be had where they can change the format of the League Cup in order to ensure that you know certain uh, rounds and uh, the quarters, semis and finals are positioned in such a way that at least you can give a breather to a couple of players for the main first 11 until they get to the semi-final stage and I think that's a debate that definitely needs to be had. I think what I think a few changes that they can uh, bring in is I think this is something this is an idea that I <laughs> kind of just came to me right now and from from the Indian po- context also you can make these tournaments where you have to play some under 21 to, under 21 uh, players or under 23 players make a uh, like you have uh, like in the Olympics like in the Olympics you have uh, a quota for under 23 yeah players only usually. three only three over and over 21 players are allowed is that what it yes yeah so if you have to keep it on for all the commercial reasons and you still have the big names playing, the Chelsea's, the Cities, the United's, but you can still protect the players by making this competition uh, emphasize on on the youth players that they have, which will compel the players to give chances to the youth, the young players that they have in their rank, the fringe players also. But and at the same the, time... Won't the broadcasters kind of be like that defeats the purpose? Because yes, we do get the Liverpools and United's of this world, but they're not going to be the playing the star players that ideally the broadcasters would want to be on display, right? In that case, it brings back the big question, how much football is too much football, man? True. So, true. <laughs> I mean, and both of you did mention 
tradition so many times so i think it's such That's a such a big decision to, like, to make tradition wise i don't have a problem with it but then of course i'm not a player and uh, i do want to see my club play as much as i can but then if it's honestly going to come down to a point about player welfare then i do think that something needs to take like happen well the fact that we started off talking about how five subs are or shouldn't be introduced and we've ended up at tradition says a lot about where this debate can ramble upon and i think it's best to keep this debate and this decision up to whoever is in charge so let's hope that there is some some kind of a decision taken to kind of curb the injuries and curb the uh, fatigue that these teams might face in february when they get into the champions league and the europa league again Moving on though, uh, a league that has been the most open, you'd say, across or one of the most open across Europe uh, this season, and it's the La Liga. And for various reasons, we've seen Real Madrid and Barcelona dropping, um, dropping off their very, very high standards over the last couple of seasons. Of course, we have attributed this down to Barcelona's mismanagement in the background. You know, we had the whole. Um, Joseph Bartomeu scandal we had Messi threatening to leave and we still are waiting whether he's going to stay or not past the end of the season and then Real Madrid we have an aging squad that seems to be fighting for survival really because last i mean couple of weeks ago uh, Zinedine Zidane had an insanely good week where he first of all saved his job he got them through in the Champions League and beat rivals Atletico Madrid but speaking of Atletico Madrid who are right now on top of La Liga which are with a couple of games in hand i think Are they really? I think they have apparently the three games in hand over Sociedad, and they're six points clear of them. Wow! I mean, that is a statement, isn't it? And it kind of reminds me of the thirteen, fourteen Atletico Madrid, the 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 legendary Atletico Madrid team, you might say, the modern legend. Uh, how close are they to that title push, and is it really uh, Atletico's title to lose the book? Absolutely, I think with the with the gap that uh, you know Sid mentions, uh, Sociedad has played six games, and they have lost the last. Uh, Three out of five that they have played. So uh, and the closest closest comes to the uh, Real Madrid comes closest to them. So I think yeah, it's it's their title to lose if they can keep keep their form. Uh, but again, it I think uh, Atletico is very very dependent on their front line players. Uh, and Diego Costa is apparently leaving on January with the, uh, having had a fallout with uh, Simeone again. So I'm not <laughs> surprise surprise. <laughs> Look, there were there were rumors as well that Jao Felix had a follower and Suarez as well had a follower. I think I think with Simeone, it's funny because we often compare him to Mourinho in the sense that it's defend first, attack second. And for the last three or four years, we've seen them having decent records defensively, but then in the Champions League or even in big games in the La Liga where they're probably one nil down, they just don't have the metal to go and attack and kind of. keep the ball keep the ball make chances create spaces and eventually finish the goals and i think last season when they had alvaro morata and diego costa playing as a front two um i think it was just counter counterproductive to their own style which is um what we're seeing now through i think what has to be said a very underrated story of jao felix you know 120 million he was signed for from benfica last season um had a flop of year it's fair to say last year but still only 21 i think he's transformed that team hasn't he he has and i just do like for me personally it's kind of weird because when i do look at defensive teams especially like jose mourinho's teams and i look at them i'm just like okay i would rather watch a team that's free flowing have the ball one twos around in and around the box but then 
somehow I guess that's beauty of football. But when I look at Atletico Madrid, I don't know it's because I think it's because of Locho himself that I love watching them play, even though it's quite defensive. I mean, look at the statistic. 13 matches played this season and they have conceded only five goals. Five goals. For Real Madrid have played 14 and they've conceded 14 and they have the best, second best defensive record in the league. It just goes to show that whatever Diego Simeone has been trying for years and years at Atletico, whatever his detractors can say, it does work. And right now they're top of the table and they have three games in hand over Sociedad, two games, one game in hand over Real Madrid and they're three points clear of Madrid. And uh, I do think that this is the season that they can actually go on and win again a La Liga title. Um, the thing around Simeone is I do think that maybe he might struggle at another club. I hope I'm wrong because I really like the guy and I really admire the way that he... I mean, he won't struggle if he doesn't leave, does he? <laughs> exactly. And that, remember, we were talking about this. There's no other club where uh, the Diego Simeone can have the kind of authority that he has, not just in the dressing room, but with the board members as well. The respect and authority that he has. He can say what he wants to say and he will back his decision as well. Of course, he's proven it over the last seven, eight years. But that's why I see that Diego Simeone and Atletico Madrid are a proper fit because if he does go to another club, he will take his own sweet time. He will need his time to stamp his authority over the squad, not just the squad, but the club as well. And that's going to be difficult for him. And of course, I don't see him moving to the Premier League because of the language barrier because more than anything, he does look like a guy whose communication must be an absolute must to him for him to get his message across to the players. And uh, like coming back to what you said about Joao Felix, of course, his first season was underwhelming to say the least. But credit to Simeone, he's kind of changed the uh, style of uh, Atletico where, of course, I'm sure we can always identify a Simeone team with the back four and the, the goalkeeper. The, the, the space between the back four is almost incredible. There's absolutely no space there. And But at the same time, he's kind of allowed his front players to kind of do their own thing. We've seen, of course, with Luis Suarez, who can obviously still at the age of 33, if I'm not wrong, can conjure a goal out of nothing. And of course, Joao Felix playing off him as well has been uh, quite a success this season. And credit needs to be given to Simeone for kind of revitalizing this team going forward. And uh, But coming back to what you said about... But, Atletico, but I see, I do see them. I, I don't think the, the lead is as much as... At, at this point in time, we can't say they it's their league to lose, to be very honest, because I think they still have uh, they're still gonna face a lot of they're still gonna face Madrid again, Barcelona again. But I are you really fearing Real Madrid or Barcelona? I think Barcelona is out of the picture, aren't Wait, they? Is it is it fair um, or unfair which, to kind of rule them out already? I think it is. I think it is on the basis of what they've shown. Real Madrid have shown a couple of good weeks where they've bounced back, and we have to stress this a lot is their experienced players have turned up. And these are players at the age of 33, 34, 35. Luka Modric put in an unbelievable performance the other night um, to win the game. If it's just Madrid. a year ago, Same that Curry, that Luka Modric it. might just be over, done at the highest level. Credit to him. I mean, I, I'm sure even he thought he was moving on at the end of the season. It was almost like he was just getting uh, one-year extensions just for his past success at Real Madrid. But I think they've just put in a bit of a, I'd say, a splurge of form. I don't think it's something that we should get carried about, carried away with because, let's face it, Karim Benzema is the only guy who creates anything up front. Um, when you look at Eden Hazard, he's always on the treatment table. Marco Asensio is nowhere near the level he used to be a couple of years ago. Um, Vinicius and Rodrigo are still... I, raw. I, they're really raw, raw aren't they? Yeah. As talents, very raw. So, to expect Real Madrid to put on a push, they probably have to replicate what they did in the lockdown period, which is where they just kept clean sheet after clean sheet after clean sheet. And at this time, with 
their defensive frailties, it's going to be very difficult for them to eke out one nils or two nils or whatever to kind of, um, you know, chip back at Atletico Madrid. I mean, I, I just want to say, I was saying that I hope Atletico win it, right? But then the, I was going to make the point that I, stood, I do think that Madrid is still going to win it. And it sounds ridiculous right now, but I just do think that experience in the squad of winning title after title, I do think it's going to make the difference at the end of the day. And I do see Zidane winning the La Liga because let's face it, Atletico Madrid are the type of team that if they do lose one or two, they kind of try, take some time to get back into the rhythm of winning four, five, six games in the, in the trot, on the trot. So, I still think it's Madrid's I mean, but I think they're going to drag it down t- till the last few weeks. I think that's, and that's what you expect from players of, uh, you know, the caliber of Tony, Tony Cruz and Luka Modric, they have Ramos who have done it year and year after. So, I don't, Yes, they have been struggling. Creatively, they are, they are extremely, uh, you know, there's a dearth of creativity in their midfield. Uh, Eden Hazard has to turn up. I don't know why he likes the pasta so much. Jesus. But, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, he looks like a shadow of himself. Too. And uh, Rodrigo and Vinicius are very young to be, uh, you know, to have the shoulders of, to, to you know, to carry the shirt of Real Madrid throughout the season perform consistent, consistently and they need uh, you know Luka Jovic or the, whoever's you know backing up uh, Benzema to come up with goals because right now they're they're short of goals coming from anywhere so uh, but I do see them with the gap being just uh, three points and still half half of the game still yet to go I do see uh, Madrid dragging this league to the last last few weeks at least Unless they unless they uh, have a slump in their form and they keep losing to uh, I don't know Valencia who are, who are quite behind bar, our friends our friends at Valencia oh god <laughs> uh, but where is Barcelona and all of this because it, it's just catastrophic the collapse they've had I, I think the fact that we haven't even mentioned them once as title favorites I think even before the season began no one was putting them up as title favorites it says it all doesn't it how does a club of Barcelona's stature with the players that they had just a couple of seasons ago that were dominant in La Liga, if not in Europe. Uh, how has that club fallen to a level where now even in the Champions League places are under threat? Sid? See, this is a topic that kind of gets me riled up. And, and I'll tell you why. Because I see parallels between Barcelona and Arsenal. It has been absolute mismanagement from the top of the club. And that is a big, big problem. There's only so much you can blame the players. There's only so much you can blame the coaches. There's only so much you can blame the manager. There's absolute. There's been absolute mismanagement from the top, and of course, in the end, he had to walk away. Bartomeu had to walk away, and he finally did. But then he's left the club in an absolute mess, and it's going to take years and years for the squad to be revamped. I mean, look at Miralem Pjanic, who's been uh, involved in a swap deal with Arthur. Arthur's an upcoming talent, of course. He's 22, I think, 23. But Miralem Pjanic, quite clearly, for the last year and a half, he has looked past his best, and to sell Arthur. For the same amount as Panic, who's I think right now 31 turning 32. I think that's epitomized Barcelona's problems, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. It's been there. Uh, it's been absolute mismanagement in terms of recruitment and selling players as well. I mean, Busquets, who clearly looks like he's well beyond his prime, who's of course been a fantastic servant to Barcelona, maybe one of the great central midfielders in world football. But if you look at Gerard Piquet, he's lost his legs as well. Leon, you can't, you can't, uh, keep everything on Lionel Messi's obviously very big metaphorical shoulders but you could, there's only so much you can expect from Lionel Messi and looking at the way that the club has been run you can see that he's not happy with it 
and it's very sad to see what's happening with Messi because this is a player we thought who's going to retire at Barcelona. Two years ago, I'm sure it was a certainty that he was going to retire at Barcelona. But it's looking increasingly unlikely. He's very unhappy with the management of the squad and the club and he's going to leave. And can you blame him? Of course, there are some fans who say that the loyalty that the club has shown him since, he had, since the young age of 11 needs to be repaid by just staying at the club and then carrying them through this crisis. But as a player, you do want to maximize your talent and Lionel Messi is nothing but a God-given talent. So I do, I can understand why he might want to leave. And uh, Ronald Koeman, coming back, coming to Ronald Koeman, this is a guy who has failed at Everton. This is a guy who at Valencia was told that he could never cut it off as an elite level manager. And for them to go and get Ronald Koeman during a crisis, just because he is a club legend, just smacks of desperation. And that is one of the things that optimizes where Barcelona is right now as a club. And I think, like Arsenal, they're going to go through a lot more pain. Then only can it get better. And they need to have a proper structure right now once their new president has been appointed. And they need to look at it as a long-term project again. What can you salvage from this season, though? I think it has to go down as one of the worst seasons they've had in the last, I think, three or four decades, really. But... um. With the fact that Lionel Messi is looking so jaded in his performances week in, week out, looks like he doesn't want to be there. And Ronald Koeman, not exactly the best manager to get anything out of this team. Um, is there really a case for Barcelona missing out on even the Champions League places, Thibaut? No, no, I, I don't think I don't think they're going to miss out on Champions League places. But I think... I mean, Unai Emery's Villarreal is coming straight at them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, Villarreal's, uh, Villarreal's above them. They're right now languishing in fifth. But again, you have to, uh, I mean, it, it astonishes us as fans or, or just players who like to observe football because when the, when the big fall, they fall really hard. I mean, look at United and probably it's, probably, uh, it's a start of where uh, Barcelona is starting to decline. And... Yeah, and, and that's the patience that we have to show if we need Barcelona to be back where they, where we rate them as. Because right now, if Martin Braithwaite, and no disrespect to the man who did really well in Middlesbrough, to be leading uh, the <laughs> Barcelona line, then yeah, there are some problems to be, uh, to be really uh, considered. But again, you know, you mentioned, uh, Sid mentioned that uh, Ronald Koeman who failed at Everton, who failed at Valencia but again Ronald Koeman who made uh, Southampton uh, you know strong contenders to be in Europe who made uh, who took uh, Netherlands from a time when they were extremely bad to one of the top teams in in international football right now so so why can't he take Frankie de Jong to be the same midfielder that he was for Netherlands why is it so difficult for Frankie de Jong to start firing at Barcelona I mean they have so many inward players yeah continue the ball it's just irritating because Ronald Koeman he's a national team manager is totally different from managing Barcelona. And at Southampton, the profile is going to be different. And let's not forget, towards the end of his reign at Southampton, it was all going downhill. No, uh, the, of course, yeah, that's... I mean, managers don't leave on a high, do they? <laughs> These days, at least. So, uh... Arsene uh, yeah. Wenger. <laughs> oh, let's not open that can of worms. <laughs> but look at... Uh, I mean, talking about Frankie de Jong, I think he plays a extreme... Uh, completely different role than what he played for Ajax or for Netherlands. And and if you think about Ajax, he did not play as number six uh, or, a, or a sitting midfielder. He played uh, alongside the Daily Blind on the right side of midfield where he had the license to move. He would play to the play the ball to somebody and then move into a better position up forward. He's he's not a guy who's who's not a sitting midfielder. Maybe he has this quality. And so has Paul Pogba to be a sitting midfielder, but he doesn't look like one. So, uh, I think... 
a player like Frankie De Jong will thrive in a in a in a team like uh, Man City where where the coach encourages players to be exchanging positions uh, to be interchanging their positions throughout the game uh, rather than being very uh, static or very uh, zonal in in their approach and which is why i think Frankie De Jong having seen him lately uh, i feel he's struggling to express himself but again they have there are i mean bright spots in the in the Barcelona team look at Sergio Dest who's been a who's been a good good signing for them Pedri the young guy who's getting lots of minutes under the belt and uh, i think uh, you say and we all know Gerard Piqué is you know he's over the hill but they have a new uh, center back in Arao who's who's been who's oh, been scored quite a banging goal didn't he the last week yeah that's true uh, uh, but i think these these things are something to uh, to be look forward to in the future but at the same time i think uh, patience is what what uh, barcelona needs with all the changes that need, they need to make in the management because i think you have to give coman the time uh, that he deserves to have an impact on this team and i think messi has to leave if this team has to change completely messi has to leave i agree i agree with i agree with that part and i want to ask shreyas this because i do agree that messi might need to go in order for barcelona to benefit long term but then i see parallels in the term in the sense that liverpool at one time had to rebuild totally they had to build from the ground basically after uh, brendan rodgers disastrous final season and uh, to be fair i don't think ronald koeman is an elite level manager i don't think he deserves the time as well because he's made some extremely bad mistakes but you know stress as a liverpool fan after you've seen the kind of mismanagement that's been happening in squad like as an arsenal fan i am right now seeing with my own team do you feel that like players like coutinho griezmann dembele where you spent almost 300 350 million just on these three players and of course the mismanagement in central midfield would you would you have a fire sale of certain players or would you keep these players and get a manager in like a, say a nagelsmann who's a young progressive manager of course it's not Oh, it's not a done deal that he might just come to Barcelona like that. But or would you kind of sell the players and try and get back to the La Masia style in the early twenty two thousand tens, where they got in so many young players to the academy and had that Barcelona ethos about them? I think if you look at collapses over the years, I think there's or more recently, of course, you have to go through two real case studies, and one is the Liverpool, the way they um, you know recovered after the twenty ten eleven shock under Roy Hodgson. and eventually won the title last season and the other one is of course arsenal I, we keep mentioning arsenal because they're the they're the case study of how not to rebuild right after you lose someone who has been at the club for tw- 20 odd years and you have a structure that's in place and you have to change that structure to kind of rebuild and get back to where you were with barcelona it reminds me more of arsenal than liverpool because with liverpool what happened was that the new owners came in um you know fenway sports group came in in 2008 2009 and once i mean once liverpool had that great season under Brendan Rodgers where they almost won the league Steven Gerrard left you saw Luis Suarez leave you, you saw so many people that were integral to that one season leave all at once and you almost saw the end of Brendan Rodgers even before it happened and then when Jurgen Klopp came in everything kind of aligned of course it's a perfect fit for everyone involved so hence we have the story that there is today but with Barcelona the amount of uncertainty not just on the pitch but also off it is a real cause for concern and that's why it reminds me of Arsenal because you've spent so much money on old players on their wages and you're just paying them millions and millions per year while you're not able to sign players because you're paying that much that much of a wage and every season you have to sign that one marquee player to show that you're intent on winning the Champions League again 
which eventually leads you to Antoine Griezmann, Felipe Coutinho, Ousmane Dembele, who at this point in time, it's fair to say are dead weight at Barcelona. They don't really contribute to their success. So you see none of those three making it long term at Barcelona. I think they could. You know, they're not bad players, are they? I mean, Felipe Coutinho knocked Barcelona out of the Champions League. Of course, it was after they were five nil up, but still scored two goals in the Champions League semi final against Barcelona. Let's not discount that. So he still has it. For sure, Antoine Griezmann's got it. And Usman Dembele just needs to get his fitness back and his head in the right place. And it's almost like the board is just dooming this false sense of um, you know success on them where they're saying, yeah, you know, we'll keep Messi at the club. If Messi stays on, they were successful. And that's where it's got to them until now, until Bartomeu's left. So I think it all hinges on that presidential election, doesn't it? It doesn't matter what happens on the pitch. It doesn't matter whether the players are sold, whether the players are kept. It depends on what the new president does. And I think with the new presidential reign, we'll probably see Messi leaving. I think he himself would want to leave something. His interview is coming out, right? next week. Yeah, the interview is coming out next week. So do stay tuned to that. I don't know where it's coming on. I'm not sure which outlet it's coming on. But I think that's the interview oh, that's, where he says he's going to stay be... or not. So that's a big, big interview for the future of Barcelona. But but then, but then, like what Shreya said, Dibu, you 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 want to give Ronald Koeman some time, right? And I actually do believe that certain managers do need time. But then, looking at the squad of players that they have, okay, certain areas that they don't need, they don't have the quality required for Barcelona. But isn't it upon the manager in order to ensure at least they have a semblance of a team that's kind of playing within a structure? And of course, we have seen Real Messi who can fit in a structure on the right hand side of the wing. And maybe say Griezmann up front or Philip Coutinho cutting in. And then, of course, giving license to Frankie de Jong to roam around. I mean, he's not proven any of that till now. So, why do you think that he deserves the time? I think he deserves the time on the on the simple fact that managers take time to find their right balance. I think when you look at... And, and Shres takes uh, the example of Liverpool. He has to mention that, uh, you know, the Klopp, Klopp had three years before before he won the league. Uh, Klopp had four years before he won the Champions League. So, I think uh, you have to give that time because you, when Klopp came in, he didn't turn uh, Alex uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain into what he is today or he didn't have the Thiago's of, or, or the Salah's or the, or the Mani's. But that's the change he needs to make when managers need to find that time. Uh, managers get that time to find the way that they want to play with the set of players that they have. Maybe, maybe he doesn't want a few players, but he's stuck with them. And transfers these days are very difficult than than what we make things of. But so I think who, whoever controls the transfers for Barcelona needs to uh, needs to needs to get get some players that Coman wants to uh, have, and then we can say that okay, Coman's not doing his job or he's not being good at it. Memphis Depay for one. <laughs> so yeah, um, and if he wants Memphis Depay, he needs to get Memphis Depay, and if that's the way he wants to play, then so be it. And then after that, we can probably put him on the stand and say okay you didn't deliver but not but not before before he's had his chance because that would be just i think that's something that happened with rafa benitez at uh, uh, at real madrid because pe- people just said that rafa's not for real madrid we we kind of label managers as okay they are not good enough for here for this Ra- that that's simply what happened with rafa benitez because players didn't listen to rafa benitez because he didn't come didn't come in with the reputation that real madrid managers come in so when jose comes in you probably listen to him more than what you listen to rafa benitez but rafa benitez has gone to newcastle and has done a brilliant job there so uh, i mean i mean if you don't give the time to the manager and just as uh, just rule them out i think that's completely unfair on the on the person doing the job 
I I I couldn't agree more with you on that point. But then but then that's the thing, right? As certain managers, like for example, Klopp, the first two and a half seasons he did nothing, right? But why was there that belief in Liverpool fans? Why was there that belief with the managers, with the with the owners of the club as well, and as well as fans looking on from the outside? It's because of the way he conducted himself, and let's not forget he's a fantastic man manager, and he knows how to handle the media as well. Ronald Koeman has not helped himself in that case. He has had bust up with the media. He has called out certain players. Jurgen Klopp, when he knew Alberto Moreno was done, he never made it public. He just threw him out of the team. He did it in a very subtle way. Certain players as well, blunt. But then he knew how to keep the members of the squad and the group and and the the club and of course the media as well. Of course, he we know underneath that smile is a absolute ruthless person there who. is determined to win and i think that's what sets him apart from certain managers but as a manager don't you need to realize that it's not just a squad that you have to ma- maintain you have to maintain your image in the media you need to ma- you need to know how to handle the media as well during press conferences and of course calling out players once in a while is required certain players but he kind of calls out every other player every other game and it just doesn't come across as a guy who is kind of in control of what is going on at the club No, true. I agree with you because I think I think the appointment of Klopp at Liverpool and the way he carried himself is kind of what the Liverpool fans really needed after a long period of you know title drought, a success drought. But uh, yeah, if if you have to look for that whole full package, I I don't think Coman brings that to to the team. But I think uh, he's he's not the person who's going to go to the media and you know uh, and fr- from his conferences, from what he says, you would you wouldn't get that impression of uh, some of something that uh, Jose. Uh, embodies or Klopp uh, embodies or uh, even Unai Emery <laughs> uh, in a very in a very comical <laughs> sense too, uh, at Arsenal. Okay. So I mean, yeah. so you don't get that feeling out of him because he's he's not that kind of an eccentric person. But at the same time, I I don't think uh, managers are fired because they're not good with their media. Uh, I think I don't think that's part of their uh, job description either. So it's not part of the job description, but in this day and age. it kind of makes sense right for you to even if you're not good at it i understand it's not like you said in your top job description but you need to be a little bit media savvy and understand that times are changing and social media and whatever you said is picked up immediately and kind of circulated all over the internet and then clubs do honestly look at the number of tractions and mentions that they have per minute per hour and when the mentions are always of course Ronald Koeman lashing out at his players and everything it does kind of create an image of a club in social media that the club doesn't want so they do have to then they look at the manager and be like okay he's not kind of exactly doing what would be required to keep barcelona in say in terms of social media like on the right side of things whereas club i think pep and jose i think it I, uh, it it makes sense what you're saying but i Think it's too early to put all of that into a factor and rule him out right now. I don't think you should rule out Ronald Koeman just yet. Just yet. okay, fair enough. Yeah, well, I think that's a that's a fascinating insight into how Ronald Koeman could, you know, his image is so much constructed through social media that we don't really know. But does Koeman really have control of the club? Does he really have an impact on which players come in, which players go out, what he's going to name as a squad? Does Messi have a control over whether he plays, whether he doesn't play? Fascinating. So let's see what happens with Barcelona. I mean, to right? end end this segment, boys, just tell me: Do you think he's going to stay at the at the club beyond the season? The day after the new president comes in, I think he's going to get sacked. <laughs> <laughs> the book. If if Messi stays, I'm going to call this the biggest biggest half boiled egg ever. <laughs> this is this is the hmm. this is the worst 
possible thing that Messi could have done, you know, leaving things. And I really think Messi should go to another league and, you know, try his luck. I mean, nobody would judge him if he doesn't do well because there's no question of the fact that Messi is one of the greatest players. But I think he needs to leave now. For for his own sake and for for Barcelona at the same time. I think he should and he would leave. Well, there's a fascinating insight into what we're going to see from the La Liga in the next few weeks. I think it is Atletico's to lose, but with Real Madrid having that 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 proven winner's experience and that metal in their squad, it's going to be a difficult one for Atletico to do one over their rivals in Madrid. So, I think it's fair to say that all the leagues, the European leagues are looking pretty tight at the top. And that's a very refreshing thing because as of last week, we had five teams who were playing the Europa League top in the tables. And that's quite a rarity in um, historical terms. So thank you then, Sid and Dibbo, for joining us for this one. I think it is the first of many that we'll see between us three um, talking about various leagues over the yes, course of the season. Yes, most definitely. And of course, if you've come this far and you've listened this far, do make sure that you subscribe to us on Spotify and YouTube, wherever you're listening. And also do check out our Instagram and Twitter handles and get involved in the comments because we want to hear what you have to say. So it's goodbye from us and have a good day.